Walmart Plus members save on meeting up with friends. Save on having them over for dinner with free delivery with no hidden fees or markups. That's groceries plus napkins plus that vegetable chopper to make things a bit easier. Plus, members save on gas to go meet them in their neck of the woods. Plus, when you're ready for the ultimate sign of friendship, start a show together with your included Paramount Plus subscription. Walmart Plus members save on this plus so much more. Start a 30-day free trial at walmartplus.com. Paramount Plus, a central plan only. Separate registration required. See Walmart Plus terms and conditions. Luxury is meant to be livable. Discover the new leather collection at Ashley with premium quality leather sofas, recliners, and more, all built to last. No matter how many spills, scuffs, or pet-related mishaps come its way, the leather collection at Ashley is made with the durability you need for the whole family. Shop the new leather collection at Ashley and find chairs starting at $499.99 and sofas at $599.99. Ashley, for the love of home. Hello, this is a prepaid collect call from an inmate at New York State Department of Corrections and Community Supervision. This call is subject to recording and monitoring. To accept charges, press 1. You may start the conversation now. My name is John J. Lennon, contributor for Esquire magazine and the Marshall Project. I'm locked up for selling drugs and committing murder. Been in prison 18 years so far. Got about 10 more to go. New York State prison system identifies me as DIN number 04A0823. So I'm a writer and I'm a prisoner. And this is a collect call from Sing Sing. Today I'll be talking to Adam Carolla, a comedian, actor, best selling author pretty much a podcast god here at Podcast One. He hosts the Adam Carolla Show and the Adam and Drew Show. He talked to me while driving in his infinity. So have a listen. Adam Carolla, thank you so much for doing this. <laughs> oh, it's my pleasure. So bizarre times we live in. Uh, I hope you and your uh, family are safe out there in California. I heard you're on lockdown, like me. Yeah. Well, I'm not on lockdown. I don't give a shit. But everyone else does. Right. I mean, that's how kind of like uh, the guys and certain people uh, feel like that. But we are in ground zero over here. Sing Sing is like in Westchester. COVID hasn't hit the guys in here yet. Guys aren't uh, necessarily dropping dead, uh, at least not from COVID. Uh, <laughs> and uh, nobody really knows nothing. You know, I wrote this piece in Esquire. Uh, uh, one of the trip officers got it and uh, they shut the whole prison down. But, uh, but everything's shut down. So... Basically, I, I just wanted to jump in and just kind of like feel your vibe with um, what I'm trying to do with this show and then, you know, kind of get your advice because you're like the man with podcasting and I wanted to get some tips, but I just wanted to jump in with a quote of yours. And you're basically like, uh, this whole country is founded on the principle of if you're not hurting anyone and you're not fucking with someone else's shit and you're paying your taxes, you should be able to do just what you want to do. It's the freedom and the independence. Yeah. So I have this career. I earn income. I pay taxes, but I'm in prison. How do you feel about that? Well, I don't know what you did to earn your way into prison, so I'd have to factor that in. But uh, you pay your taxes, you take care of your own, you feed your kids, you be a good neighbor. And that's all I need out of you. Our society, look, I mean, there's a battle, which is government 
is constantly trying to grow. That's what government does. It, it's, it, it begats itself. It needs to be bigger. You know, there's more regulations, there's more tax codes, there's more everything every year. I mean, that's just how it goes. Every, if you live in California, you know, January 1st every year, there's 150 new codes that we need to adhere to. And there'll be 150 more next year and the year after that. If people don't believe me, think about the sign on the beach. First off, when I was a kid, there was no sign on a beach. Then there was a sign that said no dogs. And every year they added something to that. No smoking, no drinking, no bonfires, no cigarettes, no, no, no playing with Frisbees. Every year they add something onto that sign. Do they ever take something off of that sign? Do they ever remove anything from that sign? No, they don't. So that's what government does. And it's our job to push against it, not to further it along. Because otherwise, that sign is going to be one big pile of what you can't do. And eventually, it's just going to be you can't go to the beach. Correct. So, I mean, like, would you consider yourself a libertarian or like this? I mean, I read Ayn Rand when I was in uh, a couple of years ago, Atlas Shrugged and Fountainhead. And I mean, is that kind of like your school of thought? Uh, I've never read a book, so I really couldn't. <laughs> I couldn't tell you exactly. Yeah, I guarantee you read more books than I have because I haven't read, read any, but, um, I yes, time. <laughs> I, you got time. I, I don't and Also, I couldn't, I couldn't read when I was younger. Um, yeah, I'm a libertarian. I just, I want the government to shrink, not grow. I, I don't know who all these assholes are that want it to grow constantly, but they, they seem to want it to grow <laughs> as if they're going to fix anything, you know? I mean, they've been, We've been trying to build a bullet train in California. We got you know six billion dollars in the ground, and we got nothing. I, I don't know this plan. What what's the plan? What for the government? What are they going to do? All right. So so government sucks. So you're a grinder. You were a carpenter, boxing instructor, doing comedy gigs. You hooked up with Jimmy Kimmel, and then you start you getting more gigs. Like I mean, lots of success. Like for the for the regular guy. I mean. I mean, for, for anybody, really, look at look at your trajectory. It's it's like super impressive. But as an atheist, you're you're not the guy who says, "Well, I've been blessed." No, uh, although I do recognize that I have certain skills, certain abilities. I, I've always had a sense of humor. I don't know why th that is. Uh, I don't. Yeah, there's obviously there's something there. I mean, some people, some people are good mechanically. Some people are good with kids. You know, some people have a good ear. Some people can do mimic and imitations and, and some people are good with languages. You know, I, I always had a sense of humor. So there's something that I had, but of course you have to go out and cultivate it because you don't get paid for potential. So you know, I'm I'm like I, I realize that there are plenty of people that just don't have a sense of humor. That's not going to be a way they can get paid. I had a sense of humor, but I also came from a pretty dire background, and I had to work really hard to figure out a way to get paid for my sense of humor. Yeah, let me just ask you: Do you think you've been lucky like along the way? Well, like, what do you think with luck and grinding? Because you grind your ass off, just like as you just said. Because I just wrote this like piece for this whatever, some literary uh, journal. But the point was, like, it was, they wanted me to sort of, like, unpack, like, faith and politics. And I got into this thing of, 
I was talking to one of the guys on the company. There's a lot of guys that find like redemption through religion, and I'm not saying I'm cynical, but there's it's just what it is in the in the joint, you know. So they asked me. They were like, um, John, um, who do you think is responsible like for your like success with writing and prison and all this kind of shit? And I was like, I mean me, like I, I mean I, <laughs> but then you know I felt like shit when I said it. I mean. You know, so I read I read that you're an atheist. So, like, what's your take on it? Like, you know, have, have you been lucky? Do you credit it to luck? I mean, I know you're a comedian. I know you're talented. But, like, is it all talent or what's the verdict? Well, I think everyone has a certain amount of luck and a certain amount of unluckiness in their, in their life. I had a lot of unluckiness as a young person. I was born to bad parents, I, I had bad teachers, I, you know, I had bad construction foreman, like, you know, I, I, I wasn't a lucky person for the first part of my life, you know, probably zero to, zero to 30, and then I got lucky, so, you know, I don't know that it's worth parsing out how lucky you are or how unlucky you are, I, I will, Here's what I will have to say. Here's what I have to say about this subject. Okay. I would take 5% of the population, and I would just say they're unlucky. They, they got a horrible disease when they were young. They got no horrible car accident when they were a passenger in the car. You know, shit happens to the bottom, probably bottom 2%. Then there's the top 2%. They're super lucky. They were, you know, my kids are lucky. I'm their dad. They live in a big house. I'm nice. I'm smart. I take care of them. They have a fridge full of food. They have friends. They they drive in new cars that are safe with airbags. They, They have money. They have opportunity. But my kids are very lucky. I was not lucky. All right. So you got the top 2% and then you got the bottom 2%. Throw all them out because you're probably not going to be at the top and you're probably not going to be at the bottom. You're going to be in the middle because that's where life is. And then you'll have some luck and some bad luck, some good luck, some bad luck, right? Okay, that's everyone. Now, since you're in the group in the middle with everyone, now we have to figure out what you're going to do with yourself and how you're going to make that luck work and how you're going to cultivate what little luck you may have and how you're not going to let the unlucky be devastated, be devastated to you. That's, that's my take on it. It's not worth trying to figure out who's lucky, who's unlucky. I was unlucky and lucky in the same life. So what's, what's your argument? Yeah, no, so you make your luck, right? That's my argument, right? You know, you, the lemonade, you, you right? Well, look, my kids don't make their luck. They got born into it. And, and the kids in, in born into poverty in Haiti don't make their luck, but everyone else does. I mean, everyone's just in between. That's where everyone. Yeah. That's where everyone lives. Yeah, you make a good point. Depends on your stuff to race. Uh, but let me ask you this: so, so you are like the most kind of famous podcaster. Nowadays, it seems like everyone has a podcast, including myself now, which I'm grateful for, <laughs> considering my circumstances. But I mean, could you give me like some tips? Like, what are the secrets? of success like am i fucking up right now like do tell like what what is what is adam carolla got to say about the secrets of success the podcast well i think i think the fact that you're asking is always a good 
a good sign. The fact that you want to know if you're fucking up right now uh, is a good. It's a, it's it's good that you you want to know. You want to get better. You want to improve. You know, you want some constructive criticism. The number one thing in my mind is consistency. It's to keep doing it. To always be there. You know, I've I've been doing it for eleven plus years and I haven't missed a day. So it's always there every day for 11 years for free. So that's the, the first thing. Like, you know, it's like it's like saying, you know, how do you be a great restaurant? Well, the first thing is be open every day at 8 a.m. till midnight. You know what I mean? Like, right. you got to be open. You can't have people come up and the doors locked, you know. So first things first, be open. Next thing, let's try to make some food people want. I mean, if we're going to keep the analogy going, right. you know. So now, who are we talking to? What are we talking about? And what what ideas do you have that that we wouldn't be able to hear other places? You know, what other experiences? What do you bring into the table? But what is different about John? And and obviously, being incarcerated is it's a pretty pretty big one. It's pretty straight ahead. But then beyond that, what what are your ideas? What are your insights? What is it that we can get? Why do I need to listen to you? I guess is what I'm saying. Got it. Like before I hopped on, I was typing up some, you know, I like to, yeah. I mean, it, it's, it with me, it's like access. You say do it every day. It's like, uh, you know, with me, it's like getting on the phone. It's like navigating through the, through the like sort of politics of prison, trying to like have this intellectual Whatever, it's just a conversation we're having, but I'm like really listening to what you're saying, and then, and then you got fucking like PAs blaring in your in your ear, and the guy asking you for next on the phone, and and then there's like these half hour clicks, like so this this call will go for a half hour, so I have to like navigate through all that shit, and then like <laughs> have an engaging conversation with Adam Carolla, you know, which is which is kind of difficult too. And then I can't, you know, jump on when I want, you know, because there's, it's like game of phones in here. To keep the dark analogy of game of, of thrones. And, and uh, sometimes you got to like, like ace up and, and, you know, kind of like go there, but you really don't want to go there. Cause I'm on like this kind of like quasi honor tier. So it's just a whole fucking mess, you know, but then you want to sort of build this career. So, so I mean, you know, it's bizarre, but yeah, but consistent, but I, I am going to continue doing it. The consistency is like doing it every day is is hard. Everyone's talking about the criminal justice system right now. I got to bring it up. I know you're for like legalizing drugs. Well, what are you like? What what is it specifically you're for? You know, I kind of know it when I see it, but I don't mind consensual crimes, you know, prostitution, drug use and that that kind of stuff. You know, I'm also not a fan of uh, the guy stole 900 bucks worth of stuff from the supermarket, but he didn't put his hands on anybody. I'm not a big fan of thieves and stealing. I don't I'm not down with the oh, that's a victimless crime because it's a big store and who cares? God knows what that person's up to. Plus, you're not supposed to do that. You're not supposed to steal people's shit. You know, anytime you put your hands on anybody, that's number one. If you physically harm anybody, 
I want you off the street. Number two is fucking with their property, stealing, vandalism, all that kind of stuff. And then after that, I don't really care. I'm not really interested in things you do to yourself, ways you harm yourself. I'm really not interested in that sort of stuff. It's it's all about you putting your hands on other people, you harming other people, and you stealing their property. You can avoid stealing someone's property. You can avoid putting your hands on them. I don't want you incarcerated. By the way, I don't want you incarcerated if you cheat on your taxes. I want you to get caught and fined and make restitution. I don't need you incarcerated. Yeah, it's pretty interesting. You know, all the talk about prison reform and all this shit the government talks about, they don't say anything about locking up people for not paying them. Right. But can you ever come back from that? Like, about 20 years ago, I grew up in Brooklyn, and I grew up in a housing project, and then I sort of moved over to Hell's Kitchen. It was like this, like, this, like, neighborhood with, like, this organized crime in the background, and, you know, father blew his head off, or was kind of, you know, not to you know, sort of put that in there as an excuse, but I got involved in this lifestyle and I started selling drugs and I eventually killed a man. I went away for it. They gave me 28 years. You know, along the way, I learned to write in prison and got involved with a workshop in Attica. Uh, it wasn't much going on. It was just that workshop. There wasn't many sort of like, you know, rehabilitate programs or anything. And, and I started publishing some stories and now I write for Esquire and then they gave me this show. I mean... You know, you're a straight-up guy, and you, you're a pretty stern guy from what you just told me, but is there any coming back from that in your eyes? Like from Well, in the way, here's the way I'm wired. My thing is, is like, you killed somebody, but my question is, who did you kill? And if you killed another guy who was basically doing what you're doing, then that's just Darwin taking out the garbage. If you killed some innocent guy who's a family man or something who had a life ahead of him or something, now I look at that differently. I'm not one of these guys who's like, all lives are sacred. Everyone is safe. It's like, I, I don't, I don't buy into that. My thing is certain lives, I'd be happy if they were dead and others are more, more important. Now let me jump in. So to answer your question, this is an opportunity where I would have, I could agree with you and say, here are the facts. The facts are the man that I killed had just beaten a murder rap in Brooklyn and had just gotten out. We were both out on gun charges, and he was deeply immersed in a lifestyle with me. But I can't take the position that you just took because I was the one responsible for you know hurting the guy's family. And it took me like a lot of years to understand, like, I don't even know if I fully get it now, like just remorse. Because I had that same narrative that you just said, because it's like a knee jerk narrative, right? It's like, well, let me let me be clear for me. Okay. Uh, First off, I'm not going to say it's never okay to kill somebody. If you find a teenage Hitler and you can kill him, then kill him. That's fine with me. That's, you know, number one. Like, it's not what do you mean? It's never okay. Listen, Timothy McVeigh blew up the fucking federal building, killed like 150 people and we put him to death. Good. I'm fine with it. He's a fucking animal. He killed a bunch of kids in that building and they got put to death. So I got no problem with that. You want to fucking kill a bunch of people. I'll have the state put you to death. Or if you're a fucking Nazi, we'll get the Israeli Nazi hunters. They'll fucking hunt you down. They'll go to Brazil. They'll put a bullet in your head. I'm fine with that. I, I like living in that world. It's all degrees. You kill an innocent 10 year old kid walking to school. 
for thrills. You're the worst person in the world and you should never get out of prison. I'd like to see you killed in prison through the state firing squad. I don't give a fuck. But if you're going to kill another thug or someone who hurt somebody else or what have you, well, then that's a degree. Just like if my wife is at home alone and some guy breaks into the house and he's going to try to hurt somebody and my wife kills him with a gun. Well, I don't look at her as a bad person. She killed somebody. So it's, it's all a degree. It's a degree. And so for you, from what I hear, the way you describe it, I have your murder at about a four. My wife killing a guy is a one. Hitler's a 10. Killing a 10-year-old walking to school alone, that's a 10. My wife shooting a burglar breaks into the house in the middle of the night, that's a one. You're, you're three and a half. It's all oh. a number to me. It's not black and white. I mean, I, I, I've never quite thought of it on that scale like that, but I guess I appreciate the scale. I mean, uh, well, it, it doesn't mean what you, what you did was wrong, and you need to be punished for it. You just don't need to be in my world. You don't need to be punished like the guy who kills the ten-year-old who's walking to school for no reason. What about these like older guys like in prison? Like I interviewed this guy, Mark Maurer. He's the director of the sentencing project. And he says we should do things like Europe does shit, uh, like basically have caps, 20-year caps. And he does, you know, sort of have a caveat or, or an exception for the guys that perhaps are a bit much, a little too heinous for, for letting them go. They'll have to go through sort of you know, different parole boards and continuous parole boards before they ever got out. But generally speaking... You don't want the government just spending all this money. You know, it costs seventy thousand dollars a year to keep me incarcerated. By the way, but what about these like these older guys? And it's like, how much is enough? Like, well, I, I mean, look, everything is a everything's a little case by case. It's a combination of do you pose a threat to society, and have you been punished sufficiently for what it is that you did? In my world. You could do a thing where it's like, you know, getting back to my number system that I never thought about before. But let's just say this. Okay. In my world, you could take like a combined number. Like, let's say, did you pay your debt to society? Well, somebody could figure that out. You know what I mean? And you could go again back to the number. A 10 would be you did 10 years for vandalism. You know, okay, you've done more than pay your debt. Or you've done three years for murder. Okay, you've not paid your debt. Okay, so you take your did you pay your debt to society number and you combine it with what is the risk if you do get out? Might you hurt somebody? Might you reoffend? Might you what have you? We'll take those two numbers. We'll combine them. We'll have a number and then we'll we'll decide. If it's under 15, you're not getting out. If it's over 15, you do get out or whatever, whatever that is. Just we'll take the two numbers. Have you been punished? And what danger do you pose? And we'll take those two factors and then we'll decide whether you get out or not. They do have this like sort of quantifiable sort of test, this computerized thing that does that kind of does that. But uh, no, it's interesting. Uh, well, that's uh, that's what I would do with you. I'd go, uh, how, how long you been in? 20 years? Going on 19 Took a few shivs to the chest, so good old-fashioned retribution was meted out. Bumped into one of the guy's friends, you know, he shivved me up a little bit during my stay. Uh, so does that factor into the... Uh, 
I would. I would oh. factor, I'd, I'd factor it in. I'd factor it in if somebody beat you up or shift you or whatever. You one I, minute I, left. I, yeah. I'd factor it. Well, I appreciate that. So Adam Carolla had to run, but that was a fun conversation. I can see why he has so many listeners. At the end, I injected Mark Maurer's 20-year cap model. I often do this because Maurer's plan may be the only sure way to lower the prison population. Reformers are always talking about nonviolent offenders, which is why I always tout that we can release every single drug offender tomorrow and still incarcerate more people than any other nation. Adam Carolla has a tough matter-of-fact way of unpacking things, including punishment. While many of his listeners may not be too concerned with criminal justice reform issues, just hearing he and I engage in a conversation may shape the way they think about people in prison. At least I hope it will. Adam has a sort of dark comedic take, which brought the conversation to life. But that's touchy when talking about death. When Adam started getting into his uh, 1 through 10 pecking order bit for murder, 1 being justifiable, 10 being disgustingly heinous. I mean, that was dangerous territory for me. And yet it was pretty much the way we kind of parse out good crimes and bad crimes in the prison pecking order. Rapists, baby killers, they're scum. They're at the bottom. And us knock-around guys who killed in the life, well, we were honorable. And we're, you know, kind of like at the top. That's what we think anyway. It's easy to get lost in this sort of blind rationalization and justify your actions. But during these times of COVID, you know, it's like you guys have a pecking order too out there and I've come to the realization that, you know, we in here are uh, pretty much at the bottom of that pecking order. You start to see that when there's, you know, mandates for masks and it's almost criminal if you guys are sort of you know, in a place where it's compromised to social distance and you're not wearing a mask. But in prison, we don't have any masks. And right now, as I sort of unpack this, I'm standing 18 inches away from 23 other men. No mask. But that's another story. So it's why, you know, that point of view is its so important in writing, you know. As a journalist, I'm forced to sort of, like, consider the other side. And the other side of my own story in terms of, like, you know, just being accountable here when we talk about this pecking order. Like, I'm not sort of at the top of any pecking order. I lured a man to his death, shot him in cold blood. It was a cowardly act. I try to stay away from talking about the specifics of my crime. There are laws that prevent me from profiting from my crime. Admittedly, though, it's hard not to spew... Yes, yes, Adam. The guy I killed had already beaten a murder rap. He was a criminal. It's hard to hit the right chord of remorse and try not to diminish your own culpability. I know it's wrong when I try to let myself off the hook. Conversations have, you know, different contexts. But as someone with a platform and a voice, it's important I keep it real with myself and you all to be honest about the fact that I am still sorting out my feelings on remorse. Adam's sort of lighthearted take is one that is easy to identify with, one that people can easily take from afar. You know, like, who cares if those criminals kill one another? But, like, my mother would have, she would have cared, like, if somebody killed me. And I get that. So, I mean, we were both caught up in the life. 
And so I think about, like, I don't know, I think about it all. When you're the one who actually took the life, the stakes emotionally and morally are much higher. And when you're, you were once a criminal yourself, and now you're like, hey, everybody, check me out. I'm a journalist, and now I'm a podcaster. Well, it doesn't really, like, jive. If then I say, I'm not so bad, I killed a criminal. Point is, it's complicated, and I'm sorry if, uh, you know, I sounded glib when talking to Adam Carolla about murder. At the same time, it's true that most people serving time for murder killed in the life. Serial killers and sexual predators are the minority. And yet those are the stories that make us shudder when we watch them ad nauseum on true crime shows and then turn off the two and go to sleep thinking, thank God for prisons. Truth is, most of us who committed murder did so when we were young. We felt life was cheap, especially our own. And that was really the riddle to murder, the mindset you have to be in to commit it. But that state of mind passes, even in prison. Most of us grow up and grow out of crime and eventually develop a conscience. Those are just anecdotes. You know, I'll leave you with some numbers. Let me just sort of preface this. When we talk about you know convicted murderers and letting them out and all that kind of thing, in 2011, Stanford Law did a study and tracked 860 people convicted of murder who'd served time and had been released since 1995. Only 1% committed another crime and went back to prison. None killed again. That's it for this week. Thanks again to Adam Carolla. And join the conversation on Twitter at John J. Lennon 1. And sorry about the background noise in here, but they moved me to a new block, and this shit is, this shit is a little hectic. But, uh, you know how we do. We're going to try to pull it off. Thanks, guys. And you guys stay safe. This is a collect call from Sing Sing. It's produced by Jeff DeRay, Kirsten Woodward, and Steve Delamater, with help from Elena Garcia, Jack Greenbaum, and Devin Sherman. Special thanks to Norm Pattis, Peter Morris, Elizabeth Faquette, and Rachel Yanover. Follow John on Twitter at John J. Lennon 1 and check out his work at johnjlennon.org. Get new episodes every Wednesday on Spotify, Podcast One, Apple Podcasts, and anywhere else you get your podcasts. The caller has hung up. Walmart Plus members save on meeting up with friends. Save on having them over for dinner with free delivery with no hidden fees or markups. That's groceries plus napkins plus that vegetable chopper to make things a bit easier. Plus, members save on gas to go meet them in their neck of the woods. Plus, when you're ready for the ultimate sign of friendship, start a show together with your included Paramount Plus subscription. Walmart Plus members save on this plus so much more. Start a 30-day free trial at walmartplus.com. Paramount Plus, a central plan only. Separate registration required. See Walmart Plus terms and conditions. Luxury is meant to be livable. Discover the new leather collection at Ashley with premium quality leather sofas, recliners, and more, all built to last. No matter how many spills, scuffs, or pet-related mishaps come its way, the leather collection at Ashley is made with the durability you need for the whole family. Shop the new leather collection at Ashley and find chairs starting at $499.99 and sofas at $599.99. Ashley, for the love of home.